Hi, I'm Sage Schaefer, and this is a Sage Advice Podcast. Uh, this is the first time I've actually been a little bit nervous recording something because um, I have somebody on talking about something they're very passionate about, and uh, it's, it's very exciting to have someone on so passionate and also doing really great things for, well, I mean, a mo- most local artists and for the community, so of course I don't want to mess this one up. Um, but of course, uh, you can expect myself, being myself, and talking about Coachella and missing out on it, and also talking about why it can be garbage. And you'll know why after this interview. And now I have someone on that actually is the reason why this podcast is back and why this podcast, um, is still going and at almost 50 episodes and uh why i just don't hesitate to just go out there and do what i love to do and uh i'm happy i can't see you right now because i'm sure you are like a little embarrassed when i put you on the spot (laughs) so (laughs) here he is adam michael finney um it feels weird calling you adam i'm just gonna call you finney so how are you doing i'm doing pretty good Good. I just got back from uh, a hike and then cuddling with my cat. That didn't go so well, so I had to like just express it here on the podcast because he doesn't speak my love language, but whatever. Let it go. (laughs) Yeah, that that can be tricky. (laughs) It's tough, but um, you know what? At the end of the day, um, at least uh, there's music out there that doesn't bite, scratch, or give me allergies. So yes. this is the music episode that you've guys been um, needing to hear. Uh, so we are talking about the Yosemite Music Festival. Um, ironically, we are recording this um, the last weekend of Coachella. So uh do not worry if you want to do both um, from Coachella to Yosemite Music Festival. Uh, actually, Yosemite Music Festival is actually very uh, fair price, really good price, and less rules. So that's what I'm talking about. Now, would you like to uh, kind of explain how it started and um, why you started it? Sure, yeah. It started unofficially in 2000 uh it was a carryover from uh an event that i was part of um was sort of like i i was listed as a producer so like a partner in the event but really i was kind of like more of like an intern um i was learning the ropes and that was with uh, the underground music festival in 1999 and then we were going to try to do another event to raise money for this All Ages Music Club in Merced. And that kind of fell through due to permitting issues and uh, just some policy issues at the time with festivals. Um, so as my senior project in high school, that was kind of the impetus was to do a big outdoor festival um, off-site, uh, I mean out of town at a different site from the fairgrounds that kind of fell through because of, like I said, permitting issues. 
But through that process, I met Chuck Carter and discovered the Carter Ranch. And then our event officially began um, as Carter Ranch in 2002. And so this is the 16th year we've done a festival together. And uh, as of a few years ago, we moved it to the fairgrounds. And just really not because we wanted to, like, reinvent ourselves or do anything like hip like that we just wanted to not confuse people because we figured if we kept calling it carter ranch people would still show up at the ranch and we wouldn't be there (laughs) Um, we decided to change the name to the yosemite music festival and actually the way it was named um was i kind of let chuck pick because he's a really good listener and he's been really supportive of me and all my ideas uh, over the years, you know, I'm, I was younger when I, than he was when I met him. So I was like really excited and had all these ideas that he was really patient with. So I thought, well, let Chuck pick the name of this since we got to change it. And he came up with the Yosemite music festival. Um, and I know there is a lot of different reasons behind it. It wasn't for, uh, tourist purposes. It was mainly because all the people that came to Carter ranch had deep, roots in Yosemite and so it was kind of a play on like the people of the event and the event itself being so connected to Yosemite which of course you know Mariposa is associated with Yosemite and tries to associate itself as a as a you know entrance town um but yeah so we've we like we never really used Yosemite um uh what are icons iconography as part of our uh, branding but uh, we are the Yosemite Music Festival, and this is our 16th year. Now, after doing this for 16 years, do you ever just, like, think, like, this year's coming up, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, another year of yeah, this. Um, that's a really good question, um, because originally, when I first uh, started doing it, it was never like that. It was like... It was, oh my gosh, but in a kind of hair standing up on the back of your neck, super excited, kind of like the way a middle schooler looks forward to summer vacation, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was kind of a reunion for people in college. We didn't see each other most of the summer, so a lot of my college friends would come up. It was a great um, opportunity to reconnect and all that. And then at some point... um, it started to get to be a lot of work and I know that both Chuck and I, I wouldn't say that we got burnt out, but we started to kind of stave off some of the potential for burnout and there was concerns and things happened. And so right around the time that, um, we moved it, we had a lot of hype for the event, but in so doing, we also, um, found that, those years prior to the move and definitely the year two after we were really, um, I wouldn't, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but we were, you know, at the edge of our ability level trying to make this thing happen successfully. So, uh, yeah. So now we've brought in a group of really great volunteers who sort of operate like a, uh, creative, um, infrastructure. Um, we've, we don't really use the word board of directors because it's like a little bit more diversified than that, but 
it's pretty similar to that. We have project managers that uh, oversight different areas, or and um, we all get together every month and plan the festival and talk about it. So um, that's been a huge help. And at some point, I can like list some of the people who are in, involved with that beyond just Chuck and I. But that's been uh, one of the reasons that like this year. Um, that's not what I'm doing because normally at this point, if it were true to form for the past, I would be kind of like, oh my God, I've got, you know, this big festival. We have all this responsibility, um, a lot on the books. we got to make sure it's successful so I can have a summer vacation and not have to go pick up a second or third job. And so the way we've, we've kind of uh, reinvented the festival without really changing it, just how we've structured it has really helped to, um, make it so that in, in our 16th year, we're not feeling that burnout or that like intense kind of almost anxiety, you know, that you get when you're just, you want something to happen successfully. Um, so badly. Do you think with the volunteers that you have in and like, um, do you think that in enlisting volunteers to do the little things there, um, it improved the big part of it, which is the lineup, which is the little like, shows on the side and vendors do you think that's improved your um uh organization of doing the big parts of like finding the music yes yeah, so that's a great question so yeah so rather than making like um i mean i could go into details on this that are probably not that interesting to anyone who doesn't do this kind of work but yes um so one of the things that happened about 10 years ago was I met an event planner randomly at, when I was on vacation at a different festival. And in speaking to this event planner, because um, I'd already always kind of like had this hypothesis that putting on a festival was kind of like putting on an event or like putting on prom or putting on a wedding or something. Yeah. But I, I had no real like tangible knowledge because I'd never put on a, a wedding so I was talking to this event planner and just like picking her brain. And I came to realize that yes, there is a lot of crossover and I'm was terrible at that, that part of it. And actually Chuck's pretty good at that. Um, he is very detail oriented and can visualize, um, the space really well, but Chuck really likes to do more of the creative. Um, he's gotten into being a documentarian and, doing the film and he's also really good uh with this visual aesthetics and everything so basically the long and the short of it is that neither one of us really wanted to sit down and count how many chairs or you know how many pieces <laughs> of ice or you know anything that goes into event planning because believe it or not um it's a meticulous borderline obsessive uh craft you have to go through and visualize all these things like the flow, the pe way that people are going to walk. And it's like one of those things where you can go way down the rabbit hole and you can get really into it, or you can just kind of like let it ride and see what comes up and adjust as needed. But the fact of the matter is, is that with the move um, to the fairgrounds, things became easier in some ways, but um, the addiction of trying to, improve the event and keep it relevant and keep it interesting so that people would want to come um was was hard right like so it was something that you know chuck and i were kind of putting our heads together to try to figure out what to do and by bringing in these 
uh, helpers, friends, you know, want to take this major role. Um, it's taken a lot of uh, that sort of stuff off our shoulders, whether it's going out and doing promotion, having a street team, um, putting together like um, all the bank information, uh, whatever um, that doesn't necessarily pertain to building a lineup or, you know, talking with uh, someone who's doing uh, design work or, you know, figuring out what equipment you need for the stage. I mean, so that's allowed us to kind of focus more on what we do and yes, take a lot of the, the extra duties kind of, I wouldn't say they've taken it away because you kind of always have to be aware of what's going on, but it's just made it so we're not having to focus on 50 million things at once <laughs> quite so much. Yeah, I felt I know some people are going to be like, okay, Sage, but I felt curious to know that because there's so many people that are opposed to building a big giant team that like me. But then again, there's like people that are like, well, how does a big giant team work with something that in a way is like something so precious to you? It's scary to build something up. So that's why I wanted to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, it's, I find that very interesting. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, and so for the Yosemite Music Festival, this is a really relevant point because uh, I kind of had this, I've been having this sort of revelation that for the festival to succeed, we had to diversify. Um, I listened to the Absolute Creative podcast quite a bit, and um, it's all about Basically, it's this guy interviewing people who are really creative and have been successful in the arts or in their field, and there are some good in, uh, insights on there. Um, but I guess at some point, just you know, in all the research I was doing, I started to realize that the the modern era is about collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm I'm not a huge fan of just sitting down in a room full of people. Um, like. <laughs> think tank and solving problems because I totally agree with you when it comes to your art and whatever it is you're working on um, you have to surround yourself with the right people and sometimes you have to do it yourself but I think that a festival is kind of an easy thing to use a collaborative model for because if you think about it like a festival in and of itself like the definition is a gathering of people so for that kind of work, it makes sense to have like a group of people who are doing it. Um, the other thing is that like I don't personally know a ton about what other festivals have done throughout history, but what I've observed in my experiences uh, is that they always have a really strong core of volunteers, and that people have some sense of ownership for the for the well-being of the event by being a volunteer. Um, So, like, I'm kind of deviating from your question here, but I actually did a podcast with Vince Maroney last year, um, and we talked about this at length. And and basically, um, not to be self-referential, but (laughs) Vince basically said uh, this is about – it's about – the capitalist model is about co-opting something, whether it's, you know, a product, an art. In this case, it's an art form. Um, and then selling it back to the people once you have complete control over it so you can determine, uh, first of all, what they have access to, and second of all, like the terms of what people then start to associate as, as good or cool or whatever. And so Vince cited like 
um, the, the black music of like the South that was happening. That was like a lot of early rock and roll was influenced by. And then of course he cited the sixties music and then what happened with punk in the late seventies and early eighties. And then, um, he was commenting cause he went to high school with, uh, a guy named Carl Denson, who's a real famous sax player has played a lot of huge festivals and Carl Denson, you know, like started playing these festivals and he, he had went to see him and it basically festivals were sort of like this amazing kind of, I don't want to say they were like a distinctly American invention cause they weren't, but we had a lot here. Um, and it was a great way for people to kind of let loose and see incredible music and the whole festival industry supported bands right yeah what ended up happening is like now like in guess is getting into like the whole coachella thing and everything um there's these festivals and i want to say as the last time i did research on this which was about a year or two ago there was over 400 festivals in the united states between memorial day and labor day that have an average daily attendance of over 10,000 people. So, and I think that number is even higher now. So with that being said, now you have like somewhat of like a bidding war for bands. You have a lot of sponsorships, you have a lot of large scale things and you have people, um, going, going all in, you know, to put on these events in their communities. And that was something that we've right from the get go. We're like, well, we're out of our league. You know, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're uh, that ship has sailed for us. You know, we when we first started in 1999, if we had the resources, experience, and like ability we do now, we could have been on that boat because uh, basically the quote that I got from some of those bands who were playing the really big shows. Um, was within our means however just like so many things seem to do in 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 a high demand market it just once the demand you know continues to escalate uh the product in this case the festivals just take off and now now you're dealing with barriers to entry which is you know huge amounts of money to do an event on that scale and so what I always felt was the problem with that was that um, just if you study history, anytime you have to have $100,000, a million dollars to like get involved in the conversation of what's going on in the art form, it really limits a lot of people. And as we know, you know, creativity is something that tends to like flourish in areas where people are able to express themselves and, and all that. So I felt like it was just like a no go for us. Obviously it's not like I really had, it. we never really had a chance. Right. So then how are we able to like make our festival something that people want to go to when, you know, at any given weekend in the summer in California, you can go down and see a lineup that is um, distinct, large has like, bands that you listen to when you're in middle school bands that are you know on billboard top chart now and bands that have been around for 40 years all blended together in some incredibly curated uh you know, fantasy off of um 
off of a rock and roll dream that you had on your iPad you know, or your, your iPod, I guess I should say, to go back in time a little bit, you know? So yeah. anyways, we've always tried to be cool and relevant and avoid trying to compete with something that is fundamentally different in form than what we want to do. And so that's what we're trying to do. And this is all built up to this announcement that basically what we're going to do, we decided is rather than try to um, do this big capitalist model where like Chuck and I are the, you know, the, the business leaders and we're like trying to get as much as we can off this so we can like throw down and be the uh, benevolent kings but at the same time, keep our share. We were like, no, we don't want anything. We, this is all for, for nonprofit. We've all done this for volunteer. It's got our blood, our sweat, our, our tears, our love. Everything in this is not about um, creating a business per se. Um, so let's just crowdsource our budget as much as we can. Let's try to get people involved to also share this vision and, um, have them come in and be involved and then uh, from there maybe solve some of the financial issues that we've had and so that's kind of the direction that we've gone and I would like to say this though like comparing that because I was doing that for before preparing for this um, I was trying to make a distinction of like what sets Yosemite Music Festival aside from these high scale uh, music festivals well the two most the biggest ones you can name off the Vans Warped Tour and Coachella. I will say this, what sets you aside in what is very, um, very um, cool is that you may not have, uh, Beyonce or whatever new bands that came together, um, out of a, a mainstream band. Um, you have these new bands, you have bands that, are local and based out of California for the most part. A lot of your lineup I've noticed is from California or they're still close to the area, which is also very smart to do because when I was camping there last year, I went last year, you were pulling people from the Bay Area because you're pulling Bay Area bands, which was genius. And I was like, okay. So in for most people, when they hear like, oh, it's a local band, it's like, oh, <laughs> okay like uh, or okay are we sure we're gonna go to this but i will say this to promote yosemite music festival is this is that you're not just pulling local bands you're pulling bands that are quality bands you're pulling bands that have a set list that are polished and have original songs and it's fantastic because you're going to see bands that know what they're doing that look like they need to be signed on the spot so in a way, you have um, you're on a level of the what the main big festivals that are so commercialized and sponsored by every television show that promotes music because you you already have that you have that is bands that are good bands that know how to perform live know how to write their own music and have a set and are just ready to perform and just looking for an opportunity and you set that up for them which is a lot of uh, music festivals only look for things that will bring in the people that will bring in these this com something commercial um so that is right so yeah. yeah so like in the history of music as far as i know it and um 
one of the things you had said that you were hoping to get out of this was like some tips for people who want to work in this vein. And one of the first things I would say is like, talk to somebody who's actually done it. Um, I'm available to talk to anyone whenever I know that a lot of the musicians I work with are cool like that. You know, we live in this time where like knowledge is totally accessible because of the internet and everything. And it's, it's really awesome. You're doing this because now it's out there and maybe someone will hear it and it'll help them. But yeah, always try to talk to somebody like, uh, because there's a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to say right now that I could, I could say if I had, you know, continued questioning from someone who's trying to figure something out well but the one thing i do know is um just off the top of my head you know throughout the history of music in these modern times um you have movements and and really like all good music has come out of what i would consider to be like tribal uh tribal organizations and and that doesn't necessarily mean like um native tribes it could in some cases it has in many cases it has it but it could also be like uh tribes of people that form around a band uh, and that was really big in the um the punk movement that was uh so prevalent in the late 70s and 80s and even into the 90s where you know people would show up to see a band um 200 300 people would show up to see a band that as a promoter you could book for $200 $300 so I think that one of the things that was cool about that is the bands really respected the promoters because they felt like without this promoter who has taken some amount of risk to put on this show um the show wouldn't be there. The community wouldn't be there. This, the, the whole scene wouldn't be there. So I, I remember seeing bands play for not a lot of money and the bands being really um, humble and sort of dedicated to the success of the community and of the movement. Um, so that's one of the first things. That, and I think if you look around, there's always been that. The bands have always, have always really felt... Um, appreciative for the people who work behind the scenes to make it so they can go out and do their shows. Now also on the dark side, so to speak is you have like promoters and people who've exploited bands and, you know, I don't know too much about that, but I know like in the like R and B scene and the early rock scene, even like, you know, the scene like Elvis came out and a lot of the promoters and the record companies were exploiting bands and, uh, making a whole lot of money off them and the bands weren't seeing very much. So that's like the other side of it, right? Yeah. And um, a company, an agency, whatever, a label has, uh, represents, you know, the majority of bands that are booked in the clubs. Now the, very, the, the entry points for people to get noticed and get seen and get playing time has changed. And when that occurs, um, it's kind of now up to these companies, these agents, these labels, whatever, to sort of decide who they're going to put forward. And um, I don't know. There's like Vince did a great job uh, explaining it um, from the vantage point of a musician. But basically, you know, it's like these people are now deciding, these business people are deciding who is going to get put forward. 
and these big events too. I mean, um, it's, it's an industry, right? And so they're deciding what's best to, to put forward. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that what happens there is there's always like some people who don't really get their fair shot. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I've seen is great bands who really like could share the stage with anyone and, and in many cases have they've gone out and toured and played with legends and giants and everything and then they're just kind of like trying to get their foot in the door with these big events which now you know dominate the scene so much and we've been just really fortunate just through travels and word of mouth and friends and all that to have worked with some of these people and have them you know want to come play our event but i think you know that's kind of where when you have this sort of mega capitalist model versus like an event that's trying to you know first of all has a, a vested interest in the artists and the community and tries to provide an opportunity for people to rally around bands um i think that that there's something cool that happens there and you know not to take anything away from these big events that are you know operating on these massive budgets and are really pushing the envelope for what like pop music can do and the, the culture um you know what used to be called the underground or the or the counterculture or whatever and people are finicky you know like I, I one of my favorite stories is this andy warhol story about how he he's put up his art in this this town and nobody came except for maybe uh, one student who was doing like a high school paper on him <laughs> he came back, like four years later in the same town with the same art and it was so crowded that like people were breaking the paintings because their elbows were smashing into them <laughs> and it's just he's like that's that's human nature for you you know like you can have the greatest possible art whatever performance whatever in the world and people are just gonna if it's not hip to them they're not gonna show up and then all of a sudden, when it becomes hip, people show up. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of what's happened with a lot of the big festivals is, like, the thing to do. People started showing up to them um, in large droves. And what we're trying to do is actually kind of go back to this sort of model where um, it's based on place. It's based on the personalities of the people. It's based on obviously the performers but the whole thing is sort of like this symbiotic um circuit i guess or that that this relationship where it's all you know feeding each other and um we're trying to just put forth the best possible event that we can um given all those parameters that's what i was gonna say of like you have such an old school like punk outlook of putting these putting the festival together and then when you come in you can and you hear the music it's a little bit of everything but it's still um uh attracting locals of what they usually listen to which i thought was really cool the first year i went i was like oh yeah like it's like this like punk rock idea of like just getting these uh like smaller bands in and then you have every type of a very diverse uh, lineup, which I liked so much. Uh, 
so yeah you're very much achieving that of um addressing what is trending and what um the people of your the town like and also um something different and something uh also very unique yeah i think that like the whole punk rock thing was such a you know major shift for people because uh again like a lot of the 60s music had been co-opted i mean even the and i don't really know why but the guy who put on woodstock you know he kind of even moved away from doing that uh and his quote was like times have changed and new new times call for new opportunities but i feel like uh festivals and the music industry really grew up because of these like major performances that happened in the 60s and then but yeah i mean it it's interesting because even like a band like the Grateful Dead, which is like synonymous with festivals, yeah. When they started out, I mean, people were like, "Oh, who are these guys?" You know, like, what are they trying to do? Like, they're this guy's playing blues. They're playing blues music, and they're like from Marin. They're from San Francisco. I'm sure there was some some healthy skepticism as to like whether or not they could accomplish musically what they were setting out to do, and then they just blew the doors wide open and did it and kept going but i i think that like doing your own thing there's always going to be a certain amount of skeptics that are kind of like well that's not what's popular right now and i i think that's one thing that when you put on festivals you kind of always struggle with because you know going back into the archives of the california music there is like the whole pay-to-play movement which really killed a lot of the um touring bands and venues um, and I, I'd be really curious to look up exactly what the legislation was, but sometime around like 1996, um, something changed. Uh, I don't know what it was. It was a law and it may have to, had to do with minors and alcohol or like the liability that venue owners had or whatever, but there used to be just like hundreds of all ages music clubs in California. Um, for instance, the club we used to go to in Merced the band like at the drive-in played there regularly uh alkaline trio i remember seeing alkaline trio on their first west coast tour play there and i was like wondering why they look like they um they just look like regular college guys you know and <laughs> yeah they didn't have spikes and stuff or anything and then uh you know we saw some great shows there um bands from all over uh touring playing and and so you know it was like in those types of environments there there's it's rich there's a lot of creative potential you have artists supporting artists and telling each other hey i think what you're doing is awesome you have people coming out and getting their mind blown and then all of a sudden around like 96 97 these clubs started shutting down and, and by 2000 i want to say there was like less than 20 uh, I did a, an interview with, I talked to Curtis Meacham from the band Monkey about this, and, and he was like, they just started dropping off, and all of a sudden the shift went to uh, bands playing bars, and then there was like this big kind of 21 and over adult scene, and then his comment was that uh, after 9-11, you know, people were more skittish, and they really didn't want to come out, and that really affected the live music uh, community for touring bands, and then the festival thing has sort of become the outlet for a lot of people. And, you know, we're talking about that, but 
in terms of picking a festival, picking what bands you're going to pick, um, I've always felt like you have the responsibility to educate your audience. So if you only pick bands that are currently popular in your neighborhood or in your community, you're going to stagnate. You're, you know, what's going to happen is at some point people are going to go, oh, it's not worth it to come out and see that band. We've seen them five times this year, and that 100 or 200 people that used to come out and support that band, maybe there's only 20. Um, and so, like, what you have to do is you have to find a way to get people exposed to new bands that they don't know that they like yet that they will like you know if if, if i mean they're not going to like every band but something different for them and along those lines we've always defied genre like i one of the things that i will absolutely like go down with the ship about is i refuse to ever participate in a genre specific festival like i might do a show um, like a hard rock show where we have three bands that are all kind of the same ilk get together and play. Um, but I'm not going to put on a festival that's just hard rock. Um, and so, again, I think if I were to do a show for an evening, that might just be because those guys are touring together and that's what's that's the possibility. But when you're doing a festival, and even ideally if you're doing a show, you want there to be a blend of styles because you don't want it to be like, okay, all bluegrass people, you get to hang out with each other, and then over here you have the rockers, you know? And especially, like, American music has always been just a melting pot of styles and traditions, and you have people like uh, Dwight Yoakam, who used to play in punk rock clubs in L.A., and you know, went on to be a famous uh, country musician, and then, you know, it's always been the best where they, where they crossed over. Uh, CBGBs, you know, it originally stood for country blues and bluegrass. And a lot of those people that played there really respected those musical traditions. I mean, obviously, the one of the ones that really crosses over well would be like Johnny Cash, you know. But I just think that when you start to say, like, we're a genre-specific festival, you're actually encouraging the festival-going audience to um, – kind of close their minds a little bit and that's one thing that i learned from one of my really early teachers in the festival world it was the owner of the club i used to go to is like you have to encourage people to like get out there and interact with each other and then you know the other thing is you have to book bands not based on how many friends they have but based on who you think is gonna be the most meaningful group for your event but if you're doing a festival, it has to be about original music. And sometimes that's hard for people because, you know, they, they're drinking their wine coolers or they're, you know, they're there with their, their friends and they really want to hear that, like, bad company song. <laughs> and, you know, but, like, and sometimes you do hear, um, you know, things that you recognize. But the, the point is... Um, We've always said that bands who play our event have to play a lot of originals. Like, I always use the example of the Grateful Dead. You know, like, they played a lot of covers, but they played a lot of originals, too. I, I always tell people, try to shoot for, like, 70% original. Yeah, which is much appreciated. I mean, that sh 
should be like much appreciated from the people going because you have something that a lot of people don't know like you get exposure to something that a lot of people don't know like you can be like I'm the first one to like this <laughs> um you had a really great band playing last year um snow angel um they were yeah, a yeah, snow angel yeah oh my gosh they're a bay area band as all of you know on the podcast i i love the bay area and then seeing a bay area band really like topped it off and they were the perfect definition of like not genre specific um they're very unique and yet they were still relevant and everybody appreciated them um, I remember when they came on, everybody was like, oh, this is cool. Like, they've never seen something like that. No one's really seen that. And I and it was awesome. I loved, I loved Snow Angel. And they're, they're just fantastic, fantastic band. And, yeah, yeah that is a very much a prime example. I would suggest to you, um, for music su- suggestions this week, to uh, check them out. Because they're, they're cool. They're like, they're like Kath- the modern-day Kathleen Hanna meets... Um, today's relevancy today what is today you can't even define them because you'll see bits of their inspiration but then they also have their own person their own unique style which i think they had something like on their website like they want to be there it's felt like they're somewhere between cindy lopper and the beatles (laughs) yeah i saw that too but to me all i thought was like the riot girl movement meets today like it was i loved it oh my gosh yeah 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 she they're they are really good and they've been getting a lot of press and they're in that really vibrant community over there in Oakland where there's so many, so many great bands. I mean, that's one of the things that I think separates us too is like, we're willing to go scout bands. We'll scout bands on the internet. We'll scout bands on podcasts. We'll scout bands, you know, live. We'll scout bands via word of mouth. I was just at a record store Boo Boo Records in San Luis Obispo and one of the managers there was telling me about record labels I should check out and a band that he really liked and you know so I, I, I put I wrote it down and I checked them out and so I, I think that the traveler's tale is alive and well in the, the, the mental horizon of the Yosemite Music Festival um, yeah we're, we're definitely we're always trying to stay relevant by doing the best we can, you know, to honor the craft, not only the craft of putting on a festival, but also the craft of being a musician and and not trying to exploit musicians. What's really interesting, uh, just going back to this whole thing, like with the whole Coachella thing that you were, you wanted to talk about. (laughs) Now they're, they're saying that people, they're not calling them promoters or not calling them producers or, they're calling them curators, like festival curators. Um, we, as a society, are sort of like we're having these events curated that represent these these cultural phenomena. Um, but are we losing, you know, sort of the grassroots of what it means to actually like create a culture, like having an authentic experience? Okay being a part of something that is potentially going somewhere or not. I mean, you know, like I'm pretty sure that Sid Vicious didn't expect it to go anywhere super (laughs) like grand at one point, but 
I guess the point is, you know, what does it mean when you're you, when you decide to go to a festival? What do you expect to get out of it, and what can you give to it? There has to be something more than just like putting these people up on a podium and like, you know, curating an experience where visitors interact with them. It seems wrong on a human level, um, and. I haven't solved this mystery yet all the way, but one thing that I do know is that you have to have a relationship with your bands. Um, I think that the capitalist model of sort of like trying to make as much money as you can on festivals, it's, it's business people, you know? Yeah. I think that is like, is hard because, you know, these bands are working incredibly hard. They're practicing weekly, daily, you know, they're touring, and all of that's just on their own time, all that behind-the-scenes work. And then they come up here, and if they're lucky, they get paid a $100 each or whatever, you know? Yeah. If you're in a band with five people, if you get 500 bucks to play your gig, you know, you each walk away with 100 bucks. And if you take out whatever the travel expenses are, it's nowhere near that, right? So um, what what is there? Well, I think what we've tried to do is we've tried to create a cause, and the cause is – putting on a festival um, that's a place where people, that artists can come and sort of, like, I wouldn't want to say rest, but, you know, have a weekend where they can participate in this event and sort of feel good about what they do. And at the same time, people can come and check out what they're, what they're saying and what they're able to, to perform and, and, like, be a part of, you know, this interactive experience. Okay, that's, like, the basic. But the other, the next level is um, people can get together and sort of network and all that. We've we've all heard that. That's that's that happens at events where you know people you know people socialize and they're talking about whether it's their t-shirt company or they're talking about you know tricks for you know how to make the best uh, pasta. I don't know, but you know people interact. But then I think there's something more, which is it's like specific to the area. And, and so for me, like, I haven't solved this mystery of, like, really what, what is really behind Other than I know that you have to be good to the artists and the performers. It's not just about exploiting them. And it's about, like, a, sh- a shared, like, exchange of cultural knowledge, which happens when you are good to these people and you create an avenue for them. And at the same time, it's about working within the community to provide something that brings people from outside there to experience it and see the whole community differently, see the place differently, and then take that with them wherever they go. Whether if it's just across Bujak or back to the Bay Area or to a different country, you know, there's something there. There's some vision to be gleaned from the vantage of this event, from the collection of this event, from the people that are there. And I think if you keep the focus on that, um, you know, good things will happen and, and it, it'll be meaningful and you can work within the art form using that, that, that vantage. And if it's about creating this big blown out thing for the sake of blowing it out, um, I think that's the thing that's going to hit at some point, it's going to hit a, a maximum and it's not going to be sustainable because, um, and just looking at history, it's great that people want to get together, but I think it has to be for something more than just partying. <laughs> exactly. Um, Burning Man, uh, 
<laughs> I like, I don't know. Well, that actually started out as a pagan festival yeah. in San Francisco on a beach. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it wasn't about like. Yeah, just going crazy. Yeah. I don't know. There's still like some attraction to like check it out at the same time with like knowing the history behind Burning Man, but then also seeing it at where it's at now. There's just something about it where it's just like, I know what they're doing is deep history, but also seeing people like stay in a bus and like just it's like art at ex- experimental and then also the challenging of like people also pushing their limits. So there's also that attraction. But it's it's true. It's like it's every year it's blowing up. Every festival you see that's corporate just gets bigger and bigger. The people just get bigger and bigger. But eventually it's just going to be like, wow, okay. <laughs> like, let's get back to the core of why we're here. And I think... Maybe it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger and they'll, like, form their own, like, city-states, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, New Amsterdam or something. <laughs> uh, um, so let's get more... We're wrapping up towards the end. Let's get a little bit more... Uh, personal with the podcast now this in promotion promotional um or curating since they're taking a promotion out of that um since i don't want anybody to be like oh this promotion i'm sick of this you always selling me things sage so (laughs) (laughs) always towards the end so um what how would you describe your lineup you you can talk you could if you want to release the bands you can but if you can describe your lineup for this year how would you describe it? Well, the lineup for this year is, is hitting. Um, it's all on our website, uh, YosemiteMusicFestival.com. Um, we have a few new bands. Ivory DeVille, Gene Navarro Jr. Um, let's see. Joe Bourdais has played there before with Whispering Pines, but he's got a whole new band. Uh, Tom Rigney and Flambeau, Jimmy Paler and the Prophets. So we kind of have uh, a couple different looks this year. We have um, Ivory DeVille, uh, who are rockers from Los Angeles. Gina Mara Jr. is a soul rocker from Joshua Tree. Um, and we have returning uh golden void from san francisco um and then willie t taylor and tommy vandenavon's band the sandlot boys which is sort of a a hybrid of members of gulick thruster outfit and tom vandenavon and friends and then Rigney and Flambeau, they're a Cajun Americana band from the Bay Area that have been doing it forever and have played a lot of Zydeco Fests and Jazz and Roots Music Fests. And then we have a blues band with Jimmy Paler and the Prophets, and they're really good and jam really super hard. In fact, one of their members played with Bobby Vega, who uh, is a great uh, bass player, played with, who's from uh, Bay Area as well. So we kind of have a whole rock thing. We have a blues thing, uh, kind of a bluegrass uh, country thing with Joe Bourdais and uh, the Sandlot Boys. And, um, well, Joe's kind of more like classic rock, too. Uh, We also have um, some bands that have been with us before in uh, 
the wonderful Bootstrap Circus and Green Machine. Oh, yeah, another blues band and the Strange Angels from the North Bay Area. And then Mike Hammer and the Nails, a great local favorite who we've never gotten to have before. They're a killer blues band. So, yeah, so Friday is going to be really, really hitting um, with a lot of really good bands. And uh, actually, we haven't released, like, who's playing on what day yet. But basically, we're going to have great bands on Friday and then Saturday we're going to have kind of a midday blues block and then the evening uh, with some more rock and uh, interesting stuff Um, we also have the Mad Alchemy Liquid Light Show back again this year yes that was really cool I like that a lot Uh, um, yeah I would definitely everybody listening go check it out especially if you're sad about Coachella um Go check this out. It's better than Coachella. And you can be like, I've heard of them first. And everybody likes doing that, especially me. <laughs> I like this genre before. It was cool. Um, you can also buy tickets online, right? With For Yosemite Music Festival. Yeah, you can buy them online. You can buy them at the Chamber. Uh, we have... The, the price is basically the same. 20 I think it's 20 a day. In advance, you can buy a you can buy a weekend pass for forty dollars at the chamber, cash. But then what happens is as it gets closer to the day, if you like buy it at the gate or you buy it online, you have to pay a little bit more. So it could go up to like fifty or um, even thirty a day. So it it's better for people to buy uh, early the chamber or online now because they are. Classic $40 weekend pass that includes free camping. I also wanted to give a plug in for my friend Andy Roberts, his uh, new local project, the Hilltop Howlers. They're playing this year and they're going to be awesome. Um, Andy has played every festival we've done, so that's pretty cool that he's played all 16. All 16? Yeah, that is yeah. amazing. So you get like a huge belt buckle or something for that. I don't know. <laughs> it's a reward. That's amazing. That's so cool. You're able. Maybe he's sh- so committed like that. Yeah, I don't know what we could get him, but you know, there's got to be something like. <laughs> yeah. Been in every one, so he's and he's really good, and he's extremely um, generous, trying to help out the event. And like I said again, we've kind of crowdsourced the event, but. Rather than a typical crowdsourcing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we haven't crowdsourced the event. We've crowdsourced a portion of the band budget, which helps it so that we can keep our ticket price down. Um, so we can keep it at the same same rate. And, um, and like, no, there's not as much uh, financial liability for people like myself who are trying to do this thing as volunteers. So yeah, no one's going to make any money off of it. So if the event makes three grand, that goes back into the event for next year. If it doesn't make it, you know, heaven forbid, it doesn't make all its money back, then that's split up among the people who uh, pitched in for uh, pledging for the bands. So it's just like this really uh, interesting model where basically we're we're networking through our volunteer service to create a program for this festival that can continue. We're trying to build something that will continue 
and it's not based on you know maximizing profit and uh, having you know a single proprietor or whatever that's uh, that's uh, gaining the majority of the the profit. It's all going back into the event. So the event is fueled by the people, the artists, and the community. And again, um, it, it then becomes this sort of vantage point through which we can see ourselves and our community in this art form, and we all benefit from it. Now, usually towards this part of the podcast, I start asking you more about like your music, like your thoughts on certain musicians. Um, this is a little bit unique because we're talking about festivals. Uh, my question would be, would you think you would ever challenge the people within you know the community you're trying to attract and bring in the punk rock performer um jello biafra in like that okay you have you seen recently the work jello biafra does outside of since he's left the dead kennedys um a little (laughs) bit yeah um we've had uh i can tell you that of the famous SST, you know, records of the closest thing to that we've had was uh, the um, Sacker and Trust, and they—I don't you—you you weren't at that show. You were probably too young, but they played at the ranch like in 2012, and they blew. Singer started by screaming into the microphone, yes. and my friend jumped about three feet off the ground. <laughs> and that was a late night show. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, there's some recordings around too of it. Um, but yeah, so that's a good question because um, the first year we were at the fairgrounds, we did a late night. We had uh, Three Leafs, we had Life Coach. Maybe that was it, but I know that there were guys from Once in Future Band there, and then uh, Isaiah Mitchell was there playing with us, with them, um, from Earthless and Golden Void. So, yeah, I mean, going back to this year's event, we have one of the preeminent rock guitarists on the planet, Isaiah Mitchell, playing with his band Golden Void from the Bay Area. So they're kind of uh, also tangential to that wild punk movement, but <laughs> To answer your question specifically, the answer would be yes. I think that we're trying to get our infrastructure, like our metaphysical infrastructure in terms of how we have our events set up and how we're able to justify what we do. Um, And then once we go into the late night buildings again, I think we're going to go a little bit more heavier for the late night, um, at least one night in the future. Yeah. But that would probably be the best um, avenue for that. But we've also uh, tried to get Mike Watt and come close. And some of his projects are, um, of course, Mike Watt was a bass player in the, in the Minutemen. And um, some of his projects are, are kind of similar. But also he has some pretty ambient stuff he does too. So, I mean, one thing that's always kind of a little bit tricky is – you know you don't want to like blow somebody's uh because you know obviously if you were in a city and you were like choosing well uh, i could go choose to go see um jello or go see you know uh 
Iggy Pop or go see uh, Mike Watt, you know, I know kind of what I'm getting myself into. If I'm like at the Yosemite Music Festival and I'm I'm drinking some wine and I'm sitting there with my my grandkids and all of a sudden <laughs> you've got uh, whatever somebody like going wild and the volume is just increased by like a hundred decibels. Yeah, I think that would be hard for people. Um, I feel like I'm not doing a good job answering this question. I'm kind of, we've always tried to push it, and um, I know for me that's always something that's important. But part of my process now is working with this group, um, and so with our like crowdsourcing model and, and everything with this group is letting people have an influence too. So it's not all straight from the brain of Adam. Because, yes, if it was, there would be, like, an even more eclectic range. So it would probably be hard for some people. Um, for those of you who don't know, I don't know if I really went in-depth with Jello Biafra. I went to one of his concerts kind of on a whim because I was like, oh, he's the, like, the original, like, Dead Kennedy singer. And I knew it was very political. But I was, like, still curious. And this is pre-Trump era, I'd like to mention, when I saw Jello. And he's very um, theatrical in his performance, but not in a corny way, um, like the people I've addressed in previous episodes. Um, I don't want to get into that. We're having a very good conversation today. But um, the reason why I mentioned Jello Biafra in the Yosemite Music Festival, for those of you who um, outside of the Mariposa area, um, I think it would blow people's minds <laughs> to have someone come in that's theatrical and then also what Jello does, um, is which is very unique, he does research about what is happening in the political climate of the area that he is performing in. So he does the research and then also mentions um, the effects of these um, political figures that are representing our representatives of our area and what is affecting us currently in our situation of the community that he is performing in. Now. If you can imagine that in a town where if you roll in, you can occasionally, most of the time, see MAGA hats and Trump supporting. So if you imagine Jello Biafra here, um, I think it would just be absolutely, uh, I think it would be an event. It would be a show, <laughs> which is why I mentioned it, because I'm like, let's see <laughs> how far we can take these night shows, uh, Finny. <laughs> But I, I, like you said, it, it, it's going to take some time in building up to that, slowly increasing the night shows um, to, see, to see how that goes. <laughs> well, also, you don't want to make it like... So anyways, yes, I think that's a really good idea. And, and whether it's, it's that particular artist or something along those lines, I think um, it's always good to challenge people. Music always has that... Uh, sort of revolutionary um, ability where it can challenge people's set thinking on an issue and can bring in sort of this tribal redefinition of that issue through the um, harmony and also the tension in the music. Grateful Dead, for instance, they never wanted to take a political stance. They felt like that was a side issue, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, it's allowed people to really like access their music and think about their music who maybe would have not accessed it if they had known the band's politics, you know, if the bands had made their politics more at the forefront. 
and you know maybe you know maybe in hindsight maybe they could have made their politics more at the forefront and still accomplish what they wanted to accomplish i don't know you know i'm but that was just their thing um what i do know is that i'm reading this book right now called the war of art sort of like a play on you know uh the art of war mm-hmm. famous chinese philosophical text anyway one of the first like tenets is like if you're doing and i got this from that the idea of this from the um i think i got it from a couple different podcasts i listened to one a soccer coaching one and one was that unmistakable creative i believe but it's sort of like if you're doing art that you think you're doing it because you think someone else is going to like it and you're not really like you severed whatever you, you know, you feel and you just like, you're, you're totally just going off of what you think will be accepted. You're not, you're no longer an artist. Like you're a hack, like you've lost the battle, you've lost the war and you're just like, you know, you're just mining whatever tradition has like, gain some notoriety by people who were real artists who gave their lives and their effort to try to, to mean something. And I think that's like really powerful because so easy when you're quote unquote curating a festival to just be like, what do my constituents want to hear? And I, and I think that like, you know, one of the things my, my art teacher said to me once is like, um, Coltrane has, uh, our favorite things in there. I mean, you don't you don't have to necessarily like play him like atonal, uh, dissonant, you know, jazz scales it's played super loud through like heavy fuzz all day, and then going into like black metal um, <laughs> under, the, and then like changing it up to like uh, something that you know, interspersed between like uh, gentle melodic folk music. I mean, you could do that if that's what you feel is really what you know, how you want to uh, communicate to your audience, but just to do it, to do it because you think it's cool might not be the best way to do it. But at the same time, like not doing it because you're worried somebody wouldn't like it. Like, Ooh, you know, black metal is not something that I want to be known for because you know, uh, whatever. I, I think that there's a problem there. Like, and for me, it's like, I have moved away from like the whole, like I said, curating thing, because first of all, I think it's just an incredibly lame word. But, <laughs> um, I feel like, first of all, like nobody really cares what I like that much. Like if it's just like the Adam Finney festival, you know, like nobody really cares what I listen to, you know, and, and all the years I've been putting on this festival, no one's asked me, what are your five favorite bands or what do you listen to on a rainy Sunday afternoon? april adam like it's always been like about what kind of like you you know the the people behind it you know the tribe you know the story you know the connection and the energy and then that's what makes it relevant so again it's it's not really about like trying to because you can't fake people you know you can't like import a group of people and suddenly make the thing more relevant it's like it if the, if the, what you're trying to do has meaning and you believe in it and 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 you want to tap into that and share that with the community i think that's how it has to be so for us it's always been it's always been based on that and that's why we were able to bring saccharine trust it worked for us it worked for the time i know some people wasn't their thing they went home went to bed we're like oh my god that last band 
was crazy. <laughs> Railed front row was something that they remember for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and that's funny you mention um, people don't ask you what you listen to on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Um, I think after this episode is dropped, and I know for a fact you will rake in a lot of attraction with this, especially with, uh, so, um, expect to make your list of things you listen to on a rainy Sunday, Finny. Um, cause that's I'll what this sage, right now. <laughs> that's what the sage advice podcast is, is I just get people on. I'm like, all right, so top five lists of music you like, um, because that's, that's what I like to hear. Uh, I like to go in with people I've never even heard of and listen, hear what music they want to talk about or tell, I want to know, like, I don't, I want to know the person. I want, if I don't know the name, all right, cool. Then if they're on a podcast, obviously there's something interesting about them. So, um, expect a, a top five list. Um, Adam, you get to be your David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the best and worst list uh yeah that you just get to be data every late night host that does the list that that is where that come from fun fact about the podcast why there's list is mostly due to my love of david letterman and uh seth meyers doing their rankings on the shows and I remember it from that movie High Fidelity, where they, that first it was like one of Jack Black's first movies. Uh huh. That they kept doing like top five favorite songs <laughs> for this or that or the other thing. Exactly. That I love that so much. And like somebody, like when I ask people to come on, I'm like, yeah, give me your list. They don't understand. They're like, no one. I don't understand why they don't know me. And I'm like, believe me, people want new music all of the time. People want to be able to be like. Have you heard of this van? Anywhere you go, they like the common language is like talking about music. So I don't understand why nobody's asking Adam what he listens to on a rainy Sunday afternoon. You guys, why aren't you asking these questions? <laughs> yeah, I think that everyone has their playlist pretty full. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to open it up, and um, it's happening here. Um, I was recently told that. Uh, I have opened up their knowledge of certain histories and I think um, expect that for your, during your summer breaks and winter breaks that are approaching. Um, your, your set lists are going to be amazing and you're, you're, you're just, you're going to blow your minds. Um, and uh, Finney, I hope you, you get to channel your inner David Letterman with me coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your high fidelity. Um, you can uh, always ask a promoter like what their favorite band is after the festival, because <laughs> then like you know, if they're really true to their festival, they might be like, "Well, my favorite bands are," and they start listing all the bands on the the back of the poster <laughs> or on the poster. But then the day after the festival, then they haven't booked the next year's festival yet. They could be like, "Oh man, I've been really listening to a lot of like." Uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass or whatever. I mean, there's no, they're, they don't feel like they have to promote their event. But actually, I've never gone on there where anyone's ever been like, what are your favorite bands? I think what ends up happening is they always ask, what are your favorite bands that you have this year? No. But always like, I, 
it's interesting because this is the first year that I've kind of stepped back and let other people kind of pick bands from our uh, our group that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they they pitched in and then they all kind of we put out this massive list of bands that they pick through, and some people already kind of knew right away what they wanted, and others took a really long time. But um, anyway, I so I was like, part of me was worried that it would take you know a departure from in the past what Chuck and I had done and, and, you know, just, we had really good communication. So adding more people, I wasn't sure how that would go, but I feel like this year's festival is, you know, as close to if I could just pick something randomly, what I would do as any of them have been. Cause you know, the fact of the matter is, is that when you're putting on an event, there's always a level of feeling like you have to do what you think is right for the event not necessarily booking a band because you think other people are going to like it more or, you know, but, but doing something that you think will interact in a way that you want, you know? And I think that's the thing that is like the most key central concept of doing public art is the interactivity. So uh, I don't have all the answers in that way, but I feel like this event, this lineup is going to be very interactive. And um, we do have some more blues bands than normal, but a lot of people in our in our group really like blues. And I have done a terrible job over the last 16 years booking blues bands. So this is kind of like a thank you to all of them who stuck with us. <laughs> and not like one blues band every four years. But... Uh, so yeah, it's going to be great, and and you know I encourage people to come out and check it out. If you've made it this far into the podcast and you don't come to the event, I hope it's either because you have to work and you just can't get there, or because um, I don't know why else you would listen to me talk for an hour and a half and not come to our festival. But if you if you made it this far, you're probably coming. But I just want to implore you if you're on the fence for some reason should come check it out um you could always forget about it later if it wasn't that good of a time but to be honest i mean you could spend the same amount of money going out to dinner so you might as well come try it and see what these people who traveled all around the world have to say about what it means to be uh alive at this time yes and that is a good conclusion to wrap on um um, let me know if you've made it all the way to the end and what you've learned on the podcast, because I we had a, I had another long episode like this, and that was the Morrissey episode, and a lot of people made it halfway through, and they were quoting, um, "This is people I barely met." They were like, "Sage, I've listened to your Morrissey podcast." I'm like, "Did you go all the way to the hour and thirty minute mark?" They're like, "Halfway." So they didn't even get to hear a whole vegan rant about how Paul, about more how poor how Morrissey made the Staples Center vegan. So, you guys, if you made it halfway through, I hope you you've learned a lot more than <laughs> about the Staples Center being vegan now because of Morrissey. So um, I I'm so proud of all of you that had the attention span and also um, value music education and understanding event planning and understanding that we are taking away the word promoting and using the word curating, which is nice for, especially for someone who's going to school for PR like myself, when I say, oh yeah, it's, it's promoting. Go back to 
promoting get rid of curating. <laughs> well, well, like, they okay. Burning Man for curating, and they should, <laughs> like, burn it along with the man. <laughs> like, okay, so what, like, the reason why I'm like, oh, I like the word curating is, like, when I say, yeah, like, I'm studying, like, what PR is, is basically promoting. And all they think is, like, some skeezy person that just, is like, is doing <laughs> PR for, like, uh, Betsy DeVoe, like, they just don't see me as, like, they don't see it as, like, no, like, we can go to, like, anywhere we want. We can go to the, like, the most liberal, because it's a lot of, like, the, like, we can go anywhere and promote anything and be honest, and we're not doing lines of coke at the club, like, club promoters that you see or hear about from artists that, uh, do live streams about it. It's not like that. But I'm glad curating is there, but I want to say, um, I, I prefer the word promoting over curating. It sounds um, more like a fun life than curating. Kind of sounds I think boring. Curating is exactly the reason it came. At, it was born was because people felt awkward about calling themselves promoters. Like, uh, it seems so like you know late capitalist, like uh, like kind of sleazy, like you said. I love and then. It. So they came up with this word curator, which makes you think of like an art gallery and somebody like who's extremely well dressed and manicured and only has the best intentions and is obviously extremely smart. Um, and then like, so the curator now uh, does this. And anyways, I just think it's like <laughs> an illusion for what it's, yeah, like maybe the curator doesn't do promotion. Maybe they just like come up with the list of bands, but <laughs> That would be the, like, organizer, maybe is a better word, than, say, like, a curator who, uh, you know, has their own gallery that they're, like, my friend curates his gallery that he owns. <laughs> like, he is a gallery owner. He's not, you know, he doesn't, like, work with musicians. He, he brings paintings in and, and decides where he's going to hang them up. Like, that's curating. I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think it's just, like, one of those words that just, it sounds... It was too easy, right? It's like too easy of a fit. So it took off like wildfire. Now we're all going to be known as curators every time we ever try to do something. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you like wanting to see the level of um, P promoting or PR I can do, um, I would like to say it's curator meets um, P promo promoters that you hear about on live streams of your favorite artists on Instagram. Like I like to have a certain level of, of, of a good time and being really classy and sassy and all of that, you know, and speaking of promoting, um, uh, let me promote all of the things that can connect you with the Sage advice podcast and connect you with me outside of Sage advice, um, as Sage Schaefer. So you can add me on Instagram and Snapchat at that Sage Schaefer. With Snapchat, you'll see a more behind-the-scenes look and also very early exclusives of what the episodes are going to be and the release dates of that. On Instagram, you will see the uh, all of the like information about episodes drops and maybe a little bit more personal on there. And there's a link in the Instagram bio of the sageadvicepodcast.livesend.com and you'll see from latest to oldest episodes to binge listen or um, if you have a long ride, um, listen to the music episodes because those will always be the longest episodes because um, music is important. Also, I don't like movies, so I know a lot more about music. And uh, I hope you do too because um, we need that. Music education is important. 
And also, you can email me at thesageadvicepodcast at gmail.com. And you could send out your own sage advice. It could be funny, it could be serious, or you could just send me suggestions of what music episodes you want me to do, or, like I said, music movies or pop culture is what the Sage Advice Podcast is about. So, um, those are all of the promos for today. Uh, I'm lightheaded from promoting that. And uh, uh, Adam, would you like to send out the links and social media pages for the Yosemite Music Festival so people can... um, uh, see the bands because you do post the YouTube videos within the Yosemite Music Festival pages, and also yeah, I think that um, just the Facebook Yosemite Music Festival or the Yosemite Music Festival.com. We're sort of revamping our Instagram, but uh, those are the main the main ways to get uh, up to date information. And uh, that's the hub. Yeah, so I mean. I'm not doing as much promoting these days because I'm mainly curating, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, for the people that are um, not good with technology, I'm on YouTube as well at Under Sage Advice Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe at the Sage Productions YouTube channel. New episodes every Wednesdays, you guys. Thank you so much, Adam. Hey, Sage, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Oh, it was so much fun. I learned so much. And um, without the student debt, so that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, we will uh, we'll talk soon and look forward to seeing you at the festival. Yes. All right. And to everybody out there, talk to you next Wednesday. Bye.